ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. like this and people say david you should start it you start welcome hard to pay blah i'm starting it this way because this is what this man does with me i am trying to start my podcast and you know you when i bring him on and we always have these pre-pod conversations and he starts trying to get me riled up and i tell him don't make me start giving out my stuff before we get on the pod so (laughs) For all of you that have been waiting a week for this, I welcome back to Hard to Pace for another edition of High Low with Dino, the Dean Hansen. Dino, welcome back, brother. Let's go. It's game time. Let's get it. I ain't got time for this. I'm ready to eat. I'm hungry. Let's go. Like Nikhil Alexander Walker. Yeah, I'm bringing that fire to you off the bat. Off right. the bat. Go ahead. So let's, so let us, let's start with last night's game. Monday, they get canceled. We, you know, we, before, the last time we talked, they were um, finishing up the homestand. They ended that one and three. The Dallas game gets canceled due to COVID protocols. Uh, then the Pelicans go into L.A. and they lose Lonzo to knee problem. Bledsoe goes with eye problem. Zion is out with COVID <laughs> protocols. So you, you're missing a big you're, – 60% of your starting lineup is now sitting down and you're playing against – the Clippers, who are the number three team in the West right now. Things don't look good going in. You say this is not a game that they should win. But you and I also discussed this last week. And, and if I'm incorrect, please tell me. The things that we were looking for were not necessarily points and, and scores at the end of games. We were looking for consistency. We were looking for improvement. How do they play the game of basketball? What I saw last night, and again, one Sample. That's a one-game sample. But what we saw last night was a team that was, for the most part, for more minutes than they had been in a couple of weeks, engaged defensively. So a team that did not turn the basketball over. I'm not going to give them a ton of credit for winning the rebounding battle against a team that doesn't care about rebounds. The Clippers are not a great rebounding team. That's not what they do. They are also not a great interior defensive team. So I'm not, those are not things that you look for when you are playing against the Clippers. Even if you do them well, you expect to out-rebound the Clippers if you have size. You expect to get more points in the paint than the Clippers because they don't live in the paint. But the outcome is a loss, a narrow loss, a, a, a loss that was closer than anyone would have predicted. But the story it's Nikhil Alexander-Walker and his career-high 37 points, doing it in a very efficient manner, um, doing it on – and also, uh, when we talk about his offense, I want people to take the 37 points out of it. Take, take the, the actual number out. He scored at all three levels. He finished at the rim. He had a floater. He had a pull-up jump shot. He had a step into the mid-range jumper. He had a step-back three. He had the straightaway catch and shoot three. He showed you everything in the bag that you want to see out of a perimeter score, right? He was a three-level score, and he got to the free throw line. So he did all the things that you want to see out of a perimeter score. 
you ex- you have always been a Nikhil Alexander Walker proponent. I before the season said that I thought Nikhil made a great decision in declaring that he was a two guard because last year I felt like he di- he was not mentally and you can tell with some players where you are mentally he is not someone who is meant to run your offense he is someone who can lead your offense by being a lead guard but he is not a distributor that's not his focus and that's fine everybody's job ain't to be a distributor but I think he was miscast in that role last year to last night he was told flat out by Stan Van Gundy get buckets and he went out and he got buckets The reason why I was a Nas supporter from day one is, you know, having been a scout, having been responsible for player development, there are just certain intangible skill sets that you just recognize right away. Nikhil, and and I'm glad you made that distinction between being a a director as a point guard as opposed to to being the lead guard on that team. Because similar, but yet extremely different. With that, I saw Nikhil's ability first and foremost, even in summer league two years ago, Nikhil was always going north and south, first and foremost. Does not ever dribble side to side. Never. He's he's always, he's direct on where he wants to go. He is definitive on being able to see things happening in advance. Those are skill sets at a young age that's, it's it's not something that is learned either you have it or you don't Nikhil has those intangibles as a basketball player he's not just one specific guy who can handle the ball because he handles the ball extremely well but he's also an excellent passer he's an unselfish offensive player but yet at the same time, he's able to not only create shots for his teammates, but he can create his own shot, which is something that is a lost art in the NBA without having to spend the entire time pounding the basketball and alienating the rest of the players on your team. And he can he's do it without pick and roll. He can do it without, without pick, pick and roll. Without pick and roll. He is a guy who you can tell, I need you to go out here and go to work and do what it is that you do. And you remember a year ago when I kept telling everybody, it's not that Nikhil is turnover prone. And this happens with all young players when they're trying to acquire minutes. Mm -hmm. You finally get in the game and you so ramped up to prove that you belong on the court that sometimes you would get a little bit ahead of yourself and turn the basketball over. Let me run this down for people last night. 33 minutes Nikhil played last night. Five of eight from three. 15 of 23 from the field. Two of two at the line. But here's the stats that I really love. Eight rebounds 
and only one turnover. This is a guy who is making it a point, as we've talked about forever, valuing the basketball, being efficient with the basketball, being aggressive with the basketball, even though he wasn't per se the director at point guard, he had the ball in his hands most of the time he was on the floor guiding guys. Look at how many times he would penetrate, the defense would collapse, and he would dump it off to Steven Adams. And Steven either would get fouled or some kind of way he would score. Steven also had one of his best nights last night. He was six or seven from the field. So they were extremely engaged. But let me transition from the offensive side of the ball of what I saw and what I liked so much about Nikhil. Hold on, before night. we finish on the, before we transition to the defense, because we're, we're going to do those on both sides. But I want to finish on the offensive side. Okay. Because so, you made his point about you made that point about him being able to on the drive and the direction. I also want to isolate the fact that even when he was not directing others to give them scoring opportunities he understood where people needed to be moved for spacing purposes to give him Mm -hmm. his opportunity to drive to the basket. There were times where he pointed at other guys and said, go there because Mm -hmm. I have my mismatch. I know I can Mm -hmm. get you. I get my two dribbles and I'm going to pull up on this guy, but I need you to move over 10 more feet. And I saw him do that, which is a great, again, it is not a skill that every young player has <laughs> not something that you can always develop it is something that you have to have inside of you at times yeah. as a scorer to say get the fuck out of my way i'm i may be in my second year i ain't even played anything <laughs> yet but i know i got this matchup you go with your ass over to the other side and dave what is the other thing that you and i have continuously sounded like a broken record on who is going to be the vocal leader and director of players and where they need to be to take advantage of mismatches, whether it be me personally or whether it be me putting you in a scoring position. You could see there was, we talked about this in the last podcast, there was a bounce on, excuse me, there was an energy and a bounce on the floor despite them being down by 18, you never really felt like they were out of the game. The reason why the Clippers were able to take advantage of them is because the Clippers just have more seasoned veterans. You understand that. But the but the Pelicans got the lead down to eight and six points two or three times in that second half. So what he was able to do, Brandon Ingram was also efficient last night in his 38 minutes. You know, he puts up 22 as well. If Zion would have been there last night, this game actually could have been much closer than what people may have thought. It well, I don't want to do it like that. Here's why I don't like doing that. Well, is because we don't but, but, again. We don't know how it affects. You, we, we can we all we do that sometimes in sports, and we say well, if this person had been there and if this person had not, but it changes how matchups are done. It changes defensively how other teams operate. And I think that there I agree. was a point, too, with the Clippers last night offensively where they said the only two guys that are shooting are Ingram and Nikhil. And, and at Nikhil. some point they just said those guys, 
if they if Nikhil's gonna score 50 and beat us, then that's what he's gonna have to do because they had Kawhi on him at a time, and then they switched Kawhi. Kawhi off. Kawhi didn't couldn't deal with him. And I'm gonna say that Kawhi couldn't deal with him last night. Kawhi could not deal with him. But then Paul they said George could not why deal are we with gonna him. waste that energy? Because we can shut these other non-participants down, which is what they ended up doing is shutting the other guys and making their shots because they didn't get clean shots. They took the other clean but, shots away. You only had two guys last night who were particularly – and then we can talk about – we'll talk about Kyra in a minute, but Kyra was, was aggressive in his 16 minutes. But you really only had three guys who were aggressive with the basketball last night for that entire team, and that's Brandon, Nikhil, and particularly in the third and fourth quarter. It, the third quarter was all Brandon and Nikhil. And then mm-hmm. in the fourth quarter, they got a couple more guys. You know, like I said, Adams got a couple things. They got Hart and transition a couple times. And Redick hit a three there. But really, I think the Clippers at that point were like, I'm just not they, – they, they didn't allow Brandon to really go off in the fourth. But, Dave, here's the thing about it. Patrick Beverly couldn't deal with Nikhil. No. None of them could. Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi couldn't. Paul George couldn't. None of them couldn't. And here's the thing that you like about that. Nikhil was able – to settle into the game itself. When you're coming off that bench and you know you are under scrutiny for any and every little thing you do because he's a young guy, it's only his second year in the league, you play with a different level and lack thereof composure because you're trying to show, I am that guy that can give you what you need in that punch off the bench but you have to let me settle in. No player coming off the bench in three minutes can get into a groove, can settle in because you know that head coach is going to be yanking you at the least little thing that you do, even though that other player who's replacing you will make that same mistake or won't be going north and south, you're going to get pulled. Last night, Nikhil has shown a propensity. Whenever he gets the minutes, And you see, with a player like Nikhil, you don't mind him sometimes forcing situations and even maybe having a couple of turnovers here and there because the intent of what he is attempting to do, the intent leads to the attempt of what he is trying to do to get you moving in the right direction. It's worth it because the guys on that team will galvanize themselves around that offensive exposure that they're getting now. And just like you mentioned, how he, this comes from film study, and it also comes from having a basketball IQ of him understanding situations. This is not, Nikhil is not the kind of player, and this is why I liked what, Jamel McMillan, who's a former Pelicans head coach, said last night when we saw on and was yeah. in tr- was very much involved in working with Nikhil on a daily basis last season. Right. Is that Nikhil is always going to come, excuse me. Excuse me. As the old people would say, when you sneeze like that, you must be telling the truth. So <laughs> <laughs> so He mentioned last night to the extent, and I'm going to read exactly what he said, because it was really telling. Mm -hmm. This season is going to benefit guys like Nikhil Alexander-Walker, who are about work and basketball, 
A lot of guys are in for the lifestyle. He's all about getting better and earning his money. We will see him for a long time in this league. He plays with a purpose. He plays with a level of passion and intensity that you want to see. You don't mind taking an L when you get that type of productivity out of a player on the court who you know literally left it all on the court. Yes. Now you have something to build with. You also get the communication. Dave, how many times do we tell fans on the podcast as well as on our account, social media, you don't hear anybody in that arena talking nor directing. You don't see any demonstrative acts. What you saw from this young guy in the kill last night was the intangibles that we have been clamoring for and speaking about literally for with, with Nikhil being there for the past two seasons. And that's for any the player to stand up and do that for any player. And that, you know, mm -hmm. that's why when we talk about this in the context and, and defensively, uh, as we move, let's move to that side of the ball for him yep. last night. Okay. Defensively, he did a very solid job. Again, not the most difficult person for him to guard, but I, but, the Clippers switch a lot, run a lot of screens because they shoot a lot of threes. I saw that young man fight. Fighting over. Under, over, through. I saw him put his hand on the floor to turn we, the corner on a screen to make sure he had enough side, leverage to run. Weak side help as well, knowing when he was covering Patrick Beverly, there is no need for me to be within three to four feet of him. Let me sag off social distancing six to seven feet because Patrick Beverly is self-check. He'll hit a jumper every blue moon, but let me help my teammates on defense. You also saw him pushing his defender over to the other side to get on top of the ball. This is what we have been discussing and talking about. That level of intensity on the defensive end. You saw his hand in passing lane deflecting the ball. And then here's the best part. Once there was a deflection, once there was a rebound or a recovery off of a deflected pass, the first thing Pelicans players were doing was looking for Nikhil, and Nikhil was looking for them to get the ball and go. Go. Yep. This is what we wanted. And this they, is what we've been talking about. And and so like I, I want to take these as in a one game step. I don't want people to 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 run too far ahead of it. Too far, but absolutely. But and, and last night somebody asked me, well, do you think this means the next game he's gonna shoot terribly? Look, I said, first of all, here's the thing. First, you're playing against the Lakers, who are the best defensive team in the NBA. Really? Like, don't don't look at the stats. You know, don't look at just the, the ratings. The Lakers were the best defensive team in the league last year, and when they want to stop you, look at what they're doing to teams right now. They are upset because people started taking them for granted a little bit. They, were, they weren't in the conversation. Nobody was buzzing about L.A. for a minute. And they, there was a team meeting. They all talked about it. Get back to playing defense. And you've seen what they've been doing the last couple of games. So, yeah, if, if, if this is the same group that the Pelicans send out there, if, if Bledsoe's not available again, if Lonzo's not available, if Zion isn't available and they put Nikhil out there, I guarantee you the Lakers are going to do something to take away Nikhil. That's what they're going to do. 
not stupid. They got a lot of guys over there who have watched a lot of film, and Frank Vogel is a defensive-oriented coach. He's yeah. going to do whatever he can, and this is what you do to test young players. My level of expectation for Nikhil the next couple games, I said, I'd like to see him replicate what Tyrese Maxey did after he dropped that 39 in Philly. You know, the most for Philly rookie since Allen Iverson. The last two games, he's put up 14 and a half points a game, shooting about 18, I mean, uh, 46% from the floor, making some threes, making plays. When you're, you're there's still going to be ups and, and downs through this thing. But if he's giving you <clears throat> 15 a night, if Nikhil is giving you 15 a night, and he's giving you, I'm not asking for five assists out of Nikhil. That's not what I want. I, my goal for him is to be a scorer. That is his job. Go downhill, score, and if he, you happen to create for somebody, do that. But my thing is, yeah, it's gonna, it's not gonna be easy for him. But what you're looking for is, does he maintain the mindset against the Lakers? If they come at him, does he back down? If he has to make different reads, and instead of getting those same looks in offense and shooting the, the jump shot, does he direct it so he can create the pass for somebody and then reposition himself? You're looking to see how he reacts now. That's what you're looking for in Friday's game. Not just what he – does he come out and say, well, I want to get 37 again. Sure, you want to. This is the NBA. How do you adjust to their adjustment to you? And that's fine if you go out with the intentions of, I want to get 35 and 37. And quite frankly, you shouldn't ever go out with the intentions of saying, I want to get 35 or 37. Unless you might no. Jordan to Kobe when you call in your shot that night. You know, <laughs> but that's not something that you want to do mentally right. or psychologically at all. What you're also speaking to is, what we want to see is the continual growth and consistency. Yes. What we are talking about is being able to not get frustrated in the situation and being able to assess the situations that are at hand and understand full well, okay, after what you did last night, I can assure you when you come off a screen, you're going to get bumped coming off the screen to get you off of your path to not allow you to get into a rhythm. How do you handle those situations? Now, I can guarantee you this, knowing the kill personally, he ain't backing down from nobody. When I tell you this young brother literally has this in his DNA where he feels as if he is good enough to compete with anyone on any level, He's that he's of that mindset. So overall, as Dave was just speaking about, plain and simple, how do you handle the adversity and the adjustment of the wall that you're going to start to get now? Because you've made a name for yourself, so to speak, with last night, just like you alluded also. You can't go off that one sample size of last night in a few great games in the bubble and you've shown a level of growth from the summer league to now to talking to coach Van Gundy. Everything that you want to see from a veteran player, you're seeing from a second year guy. Or is he going to put himself in a position now where 
he takes that next step into the maturation process of being a leader on this basketball team. And a lot of people think that as a point guard, you have to be the only one that directs traffic or the leader instructing everyone. That's totally not the case because if you want to go back since you mentioned Jordan back in the day or since you mentioned Kobe as well, when Mike was playing in Chicago, B.J. Armstrong was a quiet guy. He said nothing. B.J. is still that way. Scotty ran the offense. Scotty ran the offense. Okay. It doesn't have to come from that point guard. In L.A., Derek Fisher, although having a good understanding of the game, he wasn't the leader nor directing what went on on that court. So your point guard doesn't have to be the director. He doesn't have to be the leader of that team. He has to be the solid one on that team. He has to be the efficient one. But that leadership role can come from anybody on that team. In Houston, Hakeem Olajuwon back in the day, he was the director as a post player. So it's a matter of being able to understand your role and the thing that you love, and I know you appreciate it just as much as I did, was the fact that if Nikhil, and you've seen a propensity of him to do this, if Nikhil makes a mistake on offense, his ass is the first player back down the court on defense to account for the mistake that was made on offense. He takes it personally, which is what you and I have been talking about. And I guarantee you, come Friday, when the Lakers play the Pelicans, the Lakers are going to take what Nikhil did personally because they know that Nikhil is going to come in here we need to sit him on his ass to get him back in order to understand you're only a you're still technically to us a rookie kid. You ain't going to come in here and just think you're going to run mugshot on us like you did two nights ago against the Clippers. We ain't the Clippers. No. OK, so, yeah, th- that's what we want to continue to see. Is they're his they're going to target him. That's yep. that's what you do with young players who have good games. Any coach will tell you that. You, you want to strip them of their confidence early, yep. early in the game. You don't want them to get comfortable because the Clippers allowed Nikhil to get comfortable. He took advantage of that. That's what you're supposed to do. If somebody's going to give you shots that you know you can make, you take them. You take them. And if you can get separation against your defender, you do it. And if you can get to the lane, you do it until they tell you you can't. And he kept he kept doing it. Never were able to stop him. Um You know something else that I saw real quickly today? If you recall, something else that we touched upon last week. When Nikhil got the ball, whether it be from Brandon, whether it be from Steven Adams, (coughs) excuse me, or whether it be a rebound, once he took off like a jet, what else happened? The rest of the team started running as well. What have we been talking about? You heard Stan Van Gundy say, run! Let's go. Let's go. And we saw the inclination of these guys starting to do that last night. Again, even with being down as many points as they were, they could have thrown it in the bag, but they didn't. And that is something that carries over and starts to build psychologically in them that says, okay, listen, if we put a necessary effort that's supposed to be there, If we start defending the way we're supposed to defend, we could change 
our gauntlet of where we want to go. The offense, even again, last night, people would – look, the offense bogged down again at times last night. Like I said, it's too much one-on-one. There was a lot of Brandon one-on-one. Yes. There was a lot of Kyra one-on-one. There was a lot of Nikhil one-on-one. And they just – the Clippers, I think, a part of that was by their design, and part of it was the, the Pelicans don't have enough guys. And we talked about this last week on the roster. It's not a versatile – roster you don't have a lot of guys who are multi-positional in that regard and that they can do more than one thing um effectively but what you did see when you talk about it 19 points off turnovers for the pelicans they only created 10 turnovers it's not a ton but you could turn those turnovers into points which into is something points. that you had not done the fast break points only 11 but for the pelicans as of late 11 is a high number for them to get out on the fast break that's an exceptional number the problem for them, again, was defensively last night where you sit there and you watch them play defense and they give up 27 free throw attempts, which means they weren't playing defense with their feet. They were playing with their hands against a team mm-hmm. that should not be getting fouled anywhere near the basket because they don't go there. Um, so right. Send the Clippers to the line 27 times is a lot, particularly when you're a Pelicans team that's been holding teams around 14, 15 free throws a night. That's bad defense. You also look at the fact that Cinderarius Thornwell was terrible on defense. You look at the fact that um, Josh Hart played a bad defensive game last night. Uh, like, let's just be real. Josh Hart has not progressed from last season to this season um, as much as you would have hoped going into his contract year. Uh, he's pretty much – he's not even – I'll say this, and it's not to insult – it's not an insult to Josh Hart. He is not playing at the level that he played at last year because his shooting is down, but he's also not defending at the same level as he was last year either. And this is a, this is a team wide thing defensively, but he had a number of missed defensive rotations that led to some open threes and the, the Pelicans continue to give up the most open threes in the NBA. That is not. And again, we talked about this last week. That is not the design of the defense. And Stan Van Gundy talked about this last night after the game when he said, <laughs> Guys are still overcommitting to people who are not going to finish at right. the rim. You have right. to know who you are playing. So if I see Patrick Beverly driving to the basket, I'm staying at home with my shooter because the shooters on the floor now are Markeith Morris. There, it's Paul George. It's Kawhi Leonard. You have actual people who are going to knock down jumpers. So I don't need to send two for Pat Beverly at the rim. <laughs> Guys have to understand their jobs defensively. They still don't get it. And that is as big a problem. We can talk about the 37 points. We can talk about all exciting that is, but they right. still do their job on the defensive end. It's called knowing personnel. You have to know your personnel of who can do what when you're on the floor. And no question, I don't want anyone to think that we are enamored with Nikhil scoring 37. Nikhil did what Nikhil does, what we expect him to do, because that's what scorers do. They score. All right. That's what we're not the least bit caught up into any of that. That to you and I, that 37, it was nice. It was it it, it was that feel good to get you to understand this kid can ball. But I didn't fall out of my chair over it. There you go. Nothing about it made me say, oh, my God, he's been – stop it, take it easy. In the words of A.A. Ron Rogers, relax. Relax, okay? They did a fantastic job with 
not turning the basketball over, which is significant for the Pelicans. You only turn the ball over 11 times. We know the Pelicans are generally in the 20, 18, 19 range consistently. All right. We know that they won the rebound battle last night by 13. But yes, against the Clippers, you're supposed to win. The Clippers, because the Clippers have nothing but five wide. So you're supposed to win the rebound battle. All right. And the fact that you're supposed to win the rebound battle and you did, that's all pluses. And that's the direction that we're going in. We're talking about all the pluses. But again, what hurt them was the fact that the Clippers were 23 of 27 from the free throw line and the Pels only took 16 shots as a, at the free throw line as a total for a team. And so, that's a Zion Williams. That certainly is impacted by not having Zion. Right. But B.I. didn't get to the line a ton. You know, that's, being, that's not being aggressive and attacking them. Because here's the funny thing about it. The Paul George that used to play defense – don't play defense anymore. So there was no reason why when you saw Paul George coming at you, you should have attacked him like you were a ferocious lion in the jungle chasing a gazelle. That's the way you should have treated Paul George because you know Paul George is only concerned with one thing now. How can I score my buckets on the offensive side? He's not thinking about scoring any, any, any uh, he's not thinking about playing defense. The fact that we won points in the paint, we're supposed to win points in the paint. What hurt the Pelicans last night, and they, they don't correct it, we will always be in a position where we're in harm's way, is on the defensive end again. If we don't move our feet, and if we don't know personnel, we're only going to always be in games, but not be able to cross that threshold to win those games. Josh Hart, and I'm going to say this, the Pelicans have a, a guard problem. And we talked about the construction of this roster. They have too many guards who are too similar too in similar function and yeah. role. Mm-hmm. And Josh Hart should never be starting for this team. Never. He is a sixth man. He's a sixth man. He cannot give you the – That's just who he is. On. And there's nothing wrong with that. He can be an exceptional sixth What's wrong man. wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that. He's not an NBA starter. So that that thought needs to end because these are the things that, that I see from Pelicans fans on Twitter. Start Josh Hart. No. Um Start Kira and no, no. You no. don't start two inexperienced guys like that and put them in that position. No, this is it. And I, I'm going to throw you to my idea. This is what I think. The, if I were the Pelicans, this is what I would do in the immediate future. I am starting Lonzo at point guard if he's healthy. I'm starting no at two with Ingram, Zion, and Adams. The first off my bench are Kira, Hart, Hayes. I'm Kira is my tempo guy because the thing that we want to see is maintain two things. On offense, you want pressure on the defense by attacking it. And on defense, I want pressure on the ball. So Kira, your job, and this is what he did last night, essentially, for 16 minutes. If I'm, it, Tell me if you didn't see the same thing. Mm-hmm. He put pressure on ball when he was defending, mm-hmm. drove to the basket when he could, and when it was a catch-and-shoot situation, he did not hesitate. He caught it. He shot it. There was yes. no hesitation at all. That's all you could ask for him as a 19-year-old coming into the league as a rookie with, with his inexperience at that position. So in a second unit, if I'm putting him out there and my shooters now on the second unit, I'm playing him with Zion, Ingram, and Josh Hart, or Zion, 
Ain't or Zion, uh, JJ Reddick, and uh, Jackson and, and whomever up front. Mm-hmm. I feel a lot more comfortable because I know I'm getting consistent drives. The guy who has not been driving for all the things that people want to say about Lonzo, the guy whose drives are down the most this year. Come on, come Eric on, with Bledsoe. It. Boom. Eric Bledsoe is down to the lowest drive rate of his career. So and what Bledsoe, did we talk about last week? What did we talk about last week? Eric Bledsoe being the weak the issue. So yep. if you switch it out, I'm not losing something. <laughs> by take, I'm keeping my defense with Lonzo because I know I'm a bad defensive team. This is what I know if I'm the Pelicans. We are not a good defensive team as of yet. I'm not taking my defense off the court, but what can I replace? If Lonzo ain't driving and Bledsoe ain't driving, I got to replace one of them. You got Bledsoe to. also ain't shooting. Bledsoe also ain't 6'5", 6'6", with 6'8", wingspan. Bledsoe also can't score from all four levels. So if I put Nikhil in Bledsoe's spot... Bledsoe also can't rebound. Bledsoe also doesn't rebound. Nikhil gave me eight boards last night because, again, his length, he's... What what activity? Are you getting more steals out of Eric? No, you're not getting... Are you getting turnovers out of Eric? You're getting four turnovers a game out of Eric. The keel, if he's not going to turn the ball over, if he's going to be aggressive with the shot, the most likely candidate, because at the very least, I feel like Lonzo can still catch and shoot if we get him in rhythm. And I know he can defend. I know he can rebound. I know he can facilitate. I still want that on the floor as a ball mover because I don't want the ball to stop. I don't want it to deteriorate to isolation. I know Lonzo can do those things. I want Nikhil in my starting lineup, though, because I know what he will do. Like you said, he will consistently be north-south. The same with Kyra Lewis. He's going to be consistently north-south. Bledsoe's not doing that. JJ's not doing that. Hart can't do that. So if that's the case, I need to change my guard rotation to ensure that I always have one person who's unafraid to drive the ball. And the two guys who are best suited for that on this roster are Nikhil Alexander-Walker and Kyra Lewis Jr. That doesn't mean, and what I would do then is I'm shipping Eric Bledsoe to anybody that's got a big that they can hand me because I need a big, either a four or a five. I need one today. I need one who can defend, if it's a guy who can defend the three, four, or if it's a guy who can defend the four, five, I need that. Bledsoe's value to me is at the highest of these guys because Lonzo, you're selling low if you sell on him right now because of what people are going to say. Bledsoe's still a veteran who can help a playoff team in a role that he could find comfortable, and there are teams that would take him off your hands. You may have to give a little something to get rid of him, but I would take back what I need in order to get rid of something that is superfluous. And right now, Eric Bledsoe is an appendix. I don't need him. He's part of my body, but if you cut him out, I'm going to be fine. Dave? <laughs> you know, I think back again to last week when we talked about the Bucks willing to let go of Eric Bledsoe in the fashion that they did as they build to be a championship team now, not down the road, but now. And he is just not that guy that can give you what you need on this team. And people act like when you say that you're berating somebody or you're bashing them. No, 
the purpose of you putting a team together is to acquire wins that everybody is going to be utilized and the most effective. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I felt that way when the Bucks let him go to begin with. I go, guys, that's because there are intangibles that Eric Bledsoe doesn't have. And I saw this when he was in Milwaukee, Dave. And I, 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 I felt like with the confluence of what they were back to, Let's go, they go all the way back. Honestly, you can go all the way back to Kentucky and see the things that, that Bledsoe is and is not as a player. The he hasn't been the same there. since Phoenix. He hasn't been the same since Phoenix. But even in Phoenix, what was the advantage in Phoenix is that the tempo was consistently high and he mm-hmm. was also playing with two other very good ball handling guards in Isaiah Thomas and Goran Dragic who gave teams fits and allowed them to play that small backcourt and find those open lanes to cut. Agreed. That's a much different situation than he had Agreed. in either Milwaukee or yes. in New Orleans, he's, and he's not taking advantage of what he is getting in New Orleans. It's not a clogged lane. People keep wanting to say the lane is clogged. The paint ain't clogged. Ain't clogged it ain't at clogged. all. Y'all, no. are, y'all are not watching if no. you're saying the paint's clogged. It ain't clogged. No, it the whole point, when teams are playing zone, if you think the only thing you can do to shoot get out of the zone is shoot, then you are not a good basketball coach. You're not a good basketball player because as much of attacking the zone is about attacking the zone. Where are the soft spots? Where are the guys who don't rotate as quickly? Where are your your players smart enough to move into the vacated spaces? And Bledsoe has not, when the teams have gone to basic zone lineups against the Pelicans to force them to shoot from outside, then you have to make them come back out by attacking and making them respect your drive. Because if they're waiting for you and they're not respecting your drive and they know they can keep you out of the paint, then they're going to let you do that. They're going to let you sit out there and shoot those jump shots. Let me say these two things when it comes to Bledsoe and when it comes to Lonzo. With Bledsoe, the fit just isn't there. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. We need to move it to better this Pelicans basketball team. Secondly, when it comes to Lonzo, it's not that he doesn't have the potential to be a good player. I just don't see the motivation. The fire. The fire. I don't see the necessary the chip that his brother had that we talked yeah. about. Yeah. That yeah. I'm the shit. I'm out here and yeah. That, that I, I, I there was a word I used with somebody that said, when have you ever seen Lonzo give the same look of disdain for his opponent that you see out of LaMelo? Melo. At, yeah. At the same age. And you saw it out of Nikhil at times last night when he was getting rolling. There was a look of this shit is too easy. Like, not I'm that not overconfidence, but like I right. know what I can do. Right. And I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna bust your ass, whether that, it be making that that mentality. And that's what I don't see from Lonzo, which is a concern, concern to me. Because dude, I need he he never looks engaged in his body language is never he looks never looks yeah. comfortable. Yeah. And a lot of that. I can't put on, where's your personal level to say, man, I love this shit. I want to compete. 
I cannot wait. Even last night, when you looked at him sitting in the chair because he couldn't play, he just looked like he was just kind of like, no, you need to be engaged. Even from the bench standpoint, even if that means you're communicating with, you don't see that level of involvement. And that is what drives me. And that's where his lack thereof comes for me. At. And that, so. and that's a decision ultimately that will get made. And then, but what I'm saying is, he's. It's harder to replace him in this. Oh, I agree. What he does than what Bledsoe oh. does. Oh. and that's my oh. because oh, at hey, the end of the I year, agree with that at, all. at the end of the year, look, people think I'm gonna say, well, pay Lonzo whatever you want and keep him. That's not. I'm not saying that at all. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that at all. Lonzo, it's on this. His career is on him. And it's I on can, him exactly. And I, I can, I, I, I will, I can, can go down the laundry list of things that I like, and I can go down the laundry list of things that I don't like. But what I'm saying is, I'm looking at this from a basketball standpoint. Two situational, and if the it's Pelicans are trying to win today, and they want to have a successful season this season, knowing that you can lose Lonzo at the end of the year and restricted free agency, that somebody can make a deal and he can be out of there. If you lose him, considering their cap situation, it might be the best thing for everybody. And yeah. I'll be fine with that too. Yeah. But he's here now. Present so now. Yeah. I am not going to throw away on a team that doesn't have a deep bench. I'm and not going to throw away my best perimeter defender because – I'm not understanding that I paired him with the wrong person in the back. There you go. That's it, Dave. And that was one of the things when we first got him that I specifically said, you cannot have two backcourt mates who are non-functioning backcourt mates. One of them has to be a functioning guy. And you are correct in your assessment. Nikhil Alexander-Walker could balance off the lack thereof that we are getting from Lonzo. But Lonzo and Eric together, you get nothing. Nothing. It doesn't work for either of them. And so the one I want to salvage is the one that I made the greater investment in. If I'm going to get something out of it, if I have any intention of keeping or trading Lonzo for the approximate value this season or keeping him for the seasons afterwards, then I, I, my commitment is to make sure that I try to give it every opportunity to work. Bledsoe is not my guy. No. He's not part of my long term. He's not part of my short term. He's on the wrong side of 30. His contract length shows you that he's not your guy. You should have no long term commitment to him. So why are you? There's no reason to invest in him. And if you move him to the bench and he don't like it, dude, I will you're get still, rid of you. It's you're fine. Not, you're not losing anything by putting him on the bench because he's not giving you anything as a starter. So what difference does it make? <laughs> so move him. And the other person, if I were making the only other move that I would make if I'm the Pelicans is it's time we have a conversation about JJ. Because yes, JJ ain't shooting the ball right now. And people can say, well, it'll come around and, and you'd expect it to come around at some point. As but, he always does. Yeah. yeah. But is but we that wait? worth it is if him returning to 40 percent as a three-point shooter is that going to be the thing that makes you a true playoff contender i don't think it is because again the making the three itself if ingram is making three a game which he should be doing he only shot two against the clippers but he should be making two to three threes a game Mm -hmm. if you have Nikhil out there and he's dropping a couple if 
Melly, if you find a way to get him to hit one or two a game, really, if you're the Pelicans, you can make 10 to 12 threes and you're shooting in the low 20s in attempts because you should be punishing people in the mid-range and in the post. With Zion and with Ingram, that's their primary work areas of the mid-range and the post. And you should be getting your offensive boards because, again, long threes mean what? Long rebounds. Long rebounds. Which means transition, which means is something you are not good at, is transition defense. So shooting more threes is not going to help you. That's no. why the Clippers were able to, to continue to not – when the Pelicans went to going three-point happy again last night, as we saw them do in the last game after they hit seven to 10 in the first quarter. And then all of a sudden they felt like they needed to shoot a whole bunch of threes. And I keep saying the three is a, is a girlfriend, not a it's wife. The girlfriend, not the wife. JJ again, does not help you in that regard. So somebody wants a veteran shooter, take him, give me another second rounder. Give me again, another young, big, find me some more young athletic bigs that I can experiment with. If I lose with them, if they, if they ain't good enough, they're cheap, they're young, I can get rid of them. I got my draft picks still. But right now, I need depth in my front court, and I need depth on my wing. I've got too much depth in my backcourt, and my backcourt is prohibiting the growth of two players who I have invested first-round picks in mm-hmm. for older veterans that are not part of my long-term plans. It's not Lonzo, and I'm not saying that because he's played great. I'm saying the most expendable pieces you have are your oldest pieces. Yeah, they have to be. And have to give a quick shout out because he hit us up on Twitter at Mr. McCoy 67902714 because he said, date the three-point shot, don't marry it, needs to be on a t-shirt. <laughs> so right, you I'm know, to do that. we got to shout him out. You know what I mean? For yep. him listening to the podcast and all those who do follow us and appreciate the insight that we're giving. So let me say this, and I guess we can move on from the Pels here because mm-hmm. we can pretty much covered all that at four and six going into the Lakers. It's not as if D Grubb and I are sitting here going high, low saying the Pelicans can't turn this around and they are far away from it. No, the fact is they are actually closer than what they have shown you to be. It's just a level of consistency in doing it over long stretches because right now they're doing it in short burst as opposed to the long side. And they have to cross over that. They have to cross over that hill, if you will, and start doing these things consistently over the long term and having those laws in the shorter term, which will then equate to success and winning. But at four and six, you're not out of anything, but you do have to start turning that around right now because that's 10 games that are down with 62 remaining in a shortened season. But you don't have the levity to take it for granted when you have to jump on teams right now because you start winning some games and start doing things the right way, it's going to funnel into your psyche that, okay, guys, we might be on to something. It makes Stan Van Gundy's and the assistant coach's jobs easier when now the buy-in is happening. So believe you me, Dave Grubb and I both feel the Pelicans can turn that corner. It's up to them whether they will now. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And so that's what I'm looking for for the rest of this trip. I'm evaluating each game independently. I'm not mm-hmm. look, I'm not going to look at the overall record on this trip because this is uh, depending on the injuries and depending on how they play this out. What you're looking for is to see what these guys do from night to night. Do they compete again against the Lakers? Do they show up on Friday with the mindset that we have to play and match their level of intensity from jump? Because the Lakers, no matter what you think about them, and you can hate them as much as you want, they are here to break your spirit. Yes. And that's what they want to do to the Pelicans early. And it's still personal for Anthony Davis. And it's still personal for some of these other guys. And it's still, quite frankly, it's personal for um, Brandon Ingram. So, yes. you know, so and Josh Hart, it was personal for him. So what are you going to do? Are you going to be take it personal in the manner of I am going to do my job and I'm going to not you know, allow these guys to bully us as a team? Or are you going to take it personal and feel like I got to do things outside of my role to help us win? Because those are the things that you want to judge teams on when they go on the road, when they are in the midst of a losing streak. How do you battle out of it? Do you do the, are you committed to the principles that your coaching staff is espousing? Or are you trying to win the game? And that's mm-hmm. two different things. Right. Because if you're just trying to win the night and we're not trying to be consistent in what we do every night, Right. Then you're gonna fail. Yes. The yes. principles are supposed to what are, are what leads you to victory. What we are as a franchise, we are every every night. night. Who are we at our core? What is our foundation? That is something that needs to be there, as you said, every single night. So D Grub. Yes. James Harden is now with the Brooklyn Nets. All right, but let's 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 take it from from all all the teams. Let's start with the. We have to. Look, we're going to save the Nets for last because that's the most complicated part of this. Is okay. them. But I, I'm going to take it to the other places first. I think the Pacers made got into this deal and made a genius move. I love with the Pacers their simple involvement of Victor Oladipo, a guy who both sides have come to the agreement. We don't really want to give you an extension. You, t- you let it be known, basically, that you don't want to be here. You let it be known last year in right. the bubble. In the bubble. But he, he showed up. The man got to work. Team was is doing very well, record-wise. Mm-hmm. But what do you do? You say, I'm going to find a player who's a little bit taller, a little bit younger, a little bit more of an efficient scorer than Victor is. Maybe not as good a perimeter defender, maybe. But Karis LeVert is a willing defender. And he's going to give you everything you want maturity-wise. He's a guy who's been able to put up 50 points in, the, in this league on, on occasion, been able to put up 30, 40-point games, is a guy who, who has a can score, again, at multiple levels, can hit the three, shoot in the mid-range, finish at the rim. I think Indiana gets a steal in that deal because they, uh, they get a player that Brooklyn couldn't do anything with, obviously, anymore. And they get a player who I think is a, is a legitimate 20-point-per-game score in the NBA on a better contract than they would have been able to give Oladipo. So I think they're winners in this. Would you agree? Absolutely they are. Here's the other thing that you like about a Karis Levert is the fact that you know he wants the ball. He does. And this is a dude who's been through it. 
Okay. Injuries in college cost him years. <laughs> Injuries in the NBA have cost him seasons. This is a dude who wants to ball. Yeah, and that's it. He's not coming in with this attitude. He's coming in with this level of rejuvenation. He's coming in with this level of, I belong here, and I want to be here. I he want to rescued. be I want to be I want to be part of a winner where I have impact. I have shown you what I can do in the bubble and even prior to that. Let me be me and let me shine and let me show I can get my team to another level. Even the other night when Kevin Durant wasn't there, what did Karis LeVert do? Balled out. Okay? Again, Victor Oladipo didn't want to be there. You could feel the contentiousness between him and the office and in the at in the at in the end. Okay. Now Karis LeVert is like, whoo, I can't wait. Can't wait to get here. I cannot wait to ball with players on a team who I know I can also help because of what I'm going to bring to the table. The Indiana Pacers are also a very Fundamentally sound culture. Yes. If you, you see what I'm saying? Yes. From an organizational standpoint. You have right? good, yeah. solid in Malcolm Brogdon. You got a, a very experienced, dependable guy. You have one of the best bigs in the league in Sabonis. Sabonis. Miles Turner, who, yes, he's up and down, but is still a very dynamic defensive player and creates problems there. If When TJ Warren comes back, you got a dude who's one of the top three, four swing guys in the league. Yeah, that team is built very well. And yes. you took him out of drama in Brooklyn. <laughs> he ain't got to hear about nothing no more. He ain't got to have people ask him, where's Kyrie? Kyrie. He ask him, Whose team is this? He ain't got to hear the bullshit between this group in the locker room and the guys who had been there already. None There's of none of that now. He's none in Indiana, and his job is, dude, first of all, he knows that city is going to love him. The, the Indianapolis is going to embrace him. Because it's a basketball going, city and state. Yeah. And they're going to cheer for him and root for him. And he is going to be supported. And he's going to be the, – the burden is never going to be strictly on his shoulders. And they can win games. Yeah. And, you know, on the, on the flip side of that, Victor Oladipo – and, of course, there are other moves that were made involved in that with future picks – and uh, the trading of those future picks as well, the Dante Exum and so on and so forth. But Victor Oladipo going to Houston. a Houston basketball team. Quite frankly, you know, I was glad that, and you know, Boogie has always been my guy. I'm glad Boogie spoke up and was just like, hold on, hold on, say, bro. If that's how you feel, okay. We need to get this dude out of here because it's actually causing division amongst us as a team. I think with John Wall, Victor Oladipo, and Boogie Cousins, I think the buy-in with Victor Oladipo will be better as oh, well. Oh, and P.J. Tucker. And, and P. Christian Tucker. Wood. And that can James Harden became a cancer. And I don't know why people, well, you know he's a scorer. That has nothing to do with it. It has ostracized the rest of the team. James, 
You are the one who got everything that you wanted. We placated to you. And now you're telling us we're not worth a damn. Okay. A move had to be made. Because and said it to the, the ballsiness. Well, first, I would say this. You got to have incredible balls to walk in in front of John Wall and Boogie Cousins and P.J. Tucker. Dudes who have gone. Look, P.J. Tucker went to battle for you and played for you. center, dude. Yeah, he played center at six four, six five for the last three years. Well, hard had to work every day. Three hundred pound dudes, two eighty pound dudes, and he did that for you for the War glory hard of hat. James Harden. Hard and you gonna tell that man day. you ain't good enough? You gonna tell Boogie Cousins that you ain't good enough? You gonna tell John Wall you ain't good enough? First of all, I ain't telling John Wall and Boogie Cousins you ain't good enough and walk turning my back on either one of them dudes because they are not the ones to be played with. Nope. And that is James Harden's arrogance to me, is that you think you can say that to grown men and walk off and then and then basically get protected by the franchise because then Steven Silas is saying, well, you can't come in today because we think it would be best. Because they was going to whoop his ass. That is that is the legit fact of this. And it nope. happens in NBA locker rooms. It happens. You called into question me as a man and as a basketball player. They were going to whoop his ass. You crossed the line. But hold on, Dave, does it remind you of anybody when I said I would have whooped his ass in that locker room and he wouldn't even be on my bench? Remember two years ago with AD? And people tried to say that it ain't the same, but look, he didn't do it the, the public way that Harden did it. But when you, it comes out that you told your teammates at the beginning of the season, I'm out, you have told them, I don't give a fuck about this season or your careers. That is because it. I, listen, I'm never going to give you what you want if my mind, people started, okay, remember, we can do this real quick. People, the Pelicans jumped out of the gate 4-0, and everybody was looking at AD's numbers and was talking about he's going to win MVP this year. And I, you and I had this conversation then. I had this conversation with Ali Cosell. He'll vouch for it, too. And we both said, he ain't playing hard. He ain't playing like he wants to win. You can nope. see it. You can see it then. And I said, this ain't going to last. And then they went on that losing streak right after that. And they blamed it on Alfred Payton getting hurt. But it wasn't about that. It was about that nope. team was broken from day one. When AD day showed one. up in training camp and said, I'm asking out. He told that whole team before they played game one that he was going to ask out. You cannot have a good season. And Jay Harden poisoned the waters for the Rockets. We live in this in this soft-ass world where when players do that, you expect me as a teammate to be, well, let me go ahead and pacify it. Let me excuse it. Dude, you threw me under the bus. And you fucking with my money. Okay. Secondly, secondly, if you were all that, my man, you should have been carrying the damn load. Why you didn't make us better if you're all that? Because you're a follower. You're not a leader. So you're going to question me when I'm out here busting my ass every single night? Bullshit. And I'm sorry. People, I'm letting you know we're going in locker rooms. As a man and as a player, dude, that is an insult and that gets your ass whooped. End of story. You crossed the line. And he, and, 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 he should be thanking Paul Silas Jr. Okay, I'm gonna say Stephen Silas. He should be thanking Stephen Silas. Okay, because Stephen Silas saved him from Boogie Cousins not meeting him at his locker 
and over him and working him over. I'm and telling you, think, you. And look, that whole Marcus Morris thing the other night with Boogie, and they tried. You saw how Morris tried to push Boogie. Push Boogie, Boogie didn't yeah. move. It didn't and move Boogie at didn't all. Move at all. That's not that dude. He's you, not they, that dude. People don't understand. We have had personal interaction with Boogie, bro. Boogie is not that dude. He's calmer now. I will give him that. He is calmer now. But Boogie is still Boogie. Don't let it fool you that Boogie don't exist in Saturday. And Boog gonna always be my dude. And I really think the Rockets are about to become a better basketball team now since James Harden is gone. Do you know how difficult, I'm not saying you, but speaking in general, how difficult it is to go to work when you know you have to deal with somebody who you know doesn't want to be here, who is doing everything he can to be a cancer, who is dividing our locker room, our organization. Dude, for Boogie mindset, man, I'm happy to be able to be on the court playing again. I want to do everything I can to leave it on the court, to put myself in a position to win. That's what I came here for, even though you were still here. I thought it could work, but it's apparent it ain't going to work. Dude, do yourself a favor and get out of our locker room now. Addition by subtraction. And like I said, they get Dante Exum. I don't think he's a real needle mover for them. No, not at all. You know, but I think the overall, but the overall context mm-hmm. and the overall morale of this basketball team in Houston they can will function. be significant. Yes, it will be significantly different. You can't be in a situation where you literally are in a position where it is total dysfunction when you go to work and you having to read this, you having to hear it all the time. Dude, can we just show up and play ball, man? All right. Even with, you know, even with, uh, um, damn, well, I can't even think of his name right now. Uh, even with John Wall being able to go to Houston, he felt like it was a rejuvenation for him as well, coming off of this injury. This is what they have to deal with these first 10 games. Like, dude, you let us know how you feel about us because you decided to go out here and go party to begin with. We let that shit pass, we moved on from that. But then you're gonna pull this bullshit? Nah, partner, you gotta get dealt with. You gotta get dealt with. And and Wall's giving them, look, Wall's bouncing back. 19 points tonight, shooting 45%. 30 plus 30 percent from three he's never been a great three-point shooter but he's over 32 percent he's still boarding the ball well he's got to get his assist numbers up but that's because he was messing around with james with james Harden. so and victor oladipo would prefer to catch and run off of screens and shoot the ball all right you don't want to run offense victor don't want to run offense no no and john wall will make it easy for you there you go there you go. So I look forward to seeing what the Rockets are going to be here in these next couple of weeks. I really am. I think they're going to turn. They're going to turn it around. Stephen Silas um, is going to get to coach now. That's the thing yeah. is he's going to get yeah. to do what he wants to do with his rotations. He doesn't have to placate anybody. He he can do what he he can go into practice and it's not like oh did James show up. Are we on time for film session? Uh, is he coming today? Is he not coming? All that's done. And Victor Oladipo, at the very least, will be a pro. And if he's and not- you know it, and you know it to be true, because if you recall, you remember last season, Russell talked about the fact of, dude, 
Why are we waiting on this cat to start film session? Let's go. So it's my time it, too. <laughs> so it wasn't everybody else. It was James Harden. Dude, we we placated to the style of ball you wanted. Then we go and get Chris Paul. That didn't work out. I don't think then any we, franchise in history okay. has been remade more times in the image of one man than the Rockets did with James Harden. They didn't do Ever. that for Olajuwon. They didn't do that Ever. for T-Mac. They didn't Ever. do that for... <laughs> but they did it for James Harden three separate times. They built... Actually, legitimately, they built that dude four different four teams. Yes, yeah. yeah. We get the head basketball coach you want who is nothing but offensive-minded that is going to run everything through you and around you. That didn't work. Let's go get Chris Paul. That didn't work. Let's get Russell Westbrook. That didn't work. Now, dude, there is a common denominator in all of this that has transpired. It was you. And quite frankly, I'm not surprised at this trade that sent him to Brooklyn. But let me ask you this question. And, I, and, I was, and I've been thinking about this, and I don't know enough about it. But quite frankly, Dave, given the level of consistency and what I do know and having dealt with people on this level, I truly believe Kyrie Irving has mental health issues that has to be addressed. Now, I'm not a doctor, but based upon some of the criteria and based Based upon the depression that he goes through, how he will regularly just disappear. Mm -hmm. Those are all signs that go into depression. Those are all signs that go into mental illness. Mm -hmm. Those are all signs. And I say that to you because I know personally firsthand with the brotherhood that we have and not to put your business out there, but I felt it would be appropriate with you personally having to maintain life because not enough people understand and speak about this and the importance of it and how it gets washed under the rug. So this is me not putting you out there. This is me saying, people, take a listen to what my brother has to say on this issue because for the regularity in which he this does happens. It. Yes, it's it is very consistent. There is a pattern, um, and again, I I don't want to diagnose him either. Now I can say this: there are certain people at different times in my life, certain celebrities that I saw, and I said, "Oh, I know that person." You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I identified with Kanye West really early, long before mm-hmm. he made his disclosure that he had bipolar disorder public, because I live with mm-hmm. bipolar disorder. And it was very familiar. Like I could hear it. I could see it in his eyes in a way, because quite frankly, people who have been around me when I'm in a manic episode will say that there's a physical transformation. You become a different person. The way you start to take care of yourself is different. And we see this with Kyrie from time to time. There are times when he's very immaculately groomed. And then there are times when that beard gets a little bit ratty. And part of that, and I've done the same thing. There are days where you just don't give a damn about Mm -hmm. yourself physically, the way you look, the way you all those things. There is also a period of self-aggrandizement. I know I have the answers. 
you are not smart enough to get them. And it's not something, again, you see this out of Kyrie pretty consistently, is when he feels that he's got a notion in his head, you can't see it. He calls it the third eye and these things that he's done. And it's, look, and, and none of those things are in and of themselves, in, you know, extraordinary. They're things that a lot of people do. But when you see consistent patterns of it, when you see them rise up and then go back down, when you see the bristling of authority, because you don't really grapple with things like time, you don't understand how important it is at times to, that people require you to be in certain places at certain times. It feels more restrictive than it actually is. I get those things. And yes, I do think something ain't right. Now, I'm not going to diagnose because that's not fair to him. And, and no right. doctor, no professional would do it from afar. Mm-hmm. But I would say something, there is an issue for Kyrie that has not been solved, that has not been met. There is a need somewhere in his in his soul that has not been touched. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because you don't mm-hmm. become a basketball vagabond, essentially, which is what he is becoming with that level of talent. And he's unless you are a guy that's cannot adjust well to great change in Cleveland, the great change was the return of LeBron mm-hmm. that changed his world. So he asked for a new change. I want to control the change. He goes to Boston. Those guys are not on his wavelength. And, mm-hmm. and I get that. We, that's a vibe that you get. Sometimes you like this ain't home. It don't feel like home, but it went mm-hmm. from one extreme to the other. I want to retire as a Celtic to get me the fuck out of here. You get to Brooklyn, you say, well, look, I know how I'm going to fix this. I'm going to call my best friend KD. This is my dude. And we're going to go and do this together. I'm going to call him up. They got two slots over here in Brooklyn. Let's do it. And KD says, I want to grow, reestablish my own identity outside of Golden State. Cool. But what are we finding out now? Kyrie and KD are struggling with their friendship. They ain't talking Mm -hmm. to each other like they used to. Kyrie Mm -hmm. and Steve Nash are struggling with their relationship Mm -hmm. because Kyrie saying I'm not involved as I wanted to be, as I was told I would be. Remember the Mm -hmm. whole, we got five, six different coaches over here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That means that he felt ownership of that. And he is now not feeling that being reciprocated. Mm -hmm. So all of these things play into, and yes, I absolutely believe he feels deeply emotional about racial justice issues i absolutely mm-hmm. do and that internalizes yes. into a pain that maybe he has difficulty expressing as well mm-hmm. and then of course you add on to it the collective psychosis we're all dealing with from being locked up for a year essentially and i think that there, you add that in and people get stir crazy and those things impact you go through depression mm-hmm. i've gone through it i had to step away from this podcast on more than one occasion hey. because i just couldn't show up to do it I not only you but you know I had mine as well. When you would hit me up, when I was going through mine in the sense of, Dave, I can't talk basketball right now. I don't want to talk sports right now. I need to be away from all of this because it is literally overwhelming me. And I knew I wouldn't be able to give us the product of what our listeners come to hear from us. I knew I wasn't there. So there is nothing wrong. And I will tell anybody, There is nothing wrong with saying, hey, listen, I'm going through stuff that is greater than a sport that is here to entertain y'all. I love it. We know that Kyrie is a basketball savant. 
There's no question about this. The man can ball when he is engaged in and on his court. He is one of the best, if not the top ball handlers in the NBA. He is one of the most effective scorers there is in all sorts of ways. But unfortunately, when he does step out, he steps all the way out. And that pattern that we've seen with all the changes and the influx of what is going on with the social injustices we saw when he went back to Boston, he's walking through the arena with the sage. That lets you know that there is so much more as you, and I, and I like that you mentioned that way. There is so much more that hasn't been touched in Kyrie. And I guess more than anything else, in addition to basketball, I wanted to bring some awareness to this in the sense of we are still human beings that deal with life every day the same way you do when you go to your dentist's office, when you go to your doctor's office or your attorney. We are still normal, everyday human beings who go through the same thing. Regardless of how much money players make, they are still people. Money does not cure all. We've seen miserable people with tons of money. So that is not what is going to resolve everything. But there are some other issues that are going on with Kyrie that has not been addressed. He's also a person, and, and, and I know what that's like because I've had people tell me, man, you're such a recluse. You don't like to come out and do this. I love to work. I enjoy working. Working is fun for me. He's an introvert. He's clearly He's an introvert. Exactly. And that's what I was alluding to is the fact I'm a very, for, you know, Dave, people think because you're a sports broadcaster, I'm a sports broadcaster, I'm an entertainment, you're uh, 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 engaging, you're involved with my niece Natalia so much, you in desert, because we're out in what it is that we do, people think that's what we are all the time. And that's not the case at all. We like our introverted time to ourselves because we are workaholics. Doing what we love to do gives us joy. That's, that's our relaxation time, if you will. Us doing our podcast, it's relaxation time for us. But in that same vein, just because we are perceived by others because of what we do in our career doesn't mean that's all that we are. And so many people confuse that with having, to, having a lack of empathy and understanding of, listen, it's bigger than basketball. And the same me, way when you get off work at your construction job and you've had a long day and you're frustrated and you need a break, guess what? We need a break. And, and I, 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 there's something I wanted to talk about because when Kyrie said he was an artist and Charles Barkley and other people were like, man, you just play basketball. I go back to remember, again, this is something that you and I experienced together. The last day that Kobe Bryant played in New Orleans. And we're sitting down in that press conference. And I asked him directly about artistry. That this is, that, that greatness for many people is a combination of science, mm -hmm. art, and skill. Mm -hmm. And people see themselves in different ways. Some athletes see themselves purely as competitors. That's how they view themselves. I compete. This is what I do. This is my vehicle for competition because mm -hmm. I have a competitive thing inside of me that makes me want to engage in things that have definitive winners and losers. That is a mm -hmm. mindset. Yeah. Right? 
there are yeah. other people who are highly proficient at what they do. And this is any job. There mm-hmm. are people who come to work every day because they want to kill it. This, they just That's what they do. I go to work. I grind. There are other people who are highly skilled and proficient. I know how to do this. I'm fully capable of doing it. Give me the responsibility. I'm comfortable in doing it. And mm-hmm. then there are also people at jobs who view themselves as, I do this job because I love the thing that I am doing. Yeah. I am, it, is, it is my way to express myself through mm-hmm. my work. And I believe, look, there are guys like this Pete Maravich was that kind of guy. Basketball was an art for him yeah. in a lot of ways. Absolutely. I, not saying that he, again, people say, well, do you think he doesn't want to win? No. People no, not saying that. But their priority, the way that they are wired as people, is going to change what that order is for different people. Michael Jordan is a competitor above all else. All else, yes. He is an artist second. Mm-hmm. Because the artistry, the artistry was a subset of his competitiveness. Yes. Okay. And and Kobe was designed the exact same way. And what people need to remember, if they can. Kobe was a recluse by himself as well. Extremely. Kobe did not relate to him well. To his, he said he had to learn again how to deal with teammates because he did not have to do that during the first run because it was a bunch of vets. When it was all old dudes around him, he had to be friends with Rick Fox. He ain't got to right. be friends with Shaq because they got families and they're going home to those people. Right. And Kobe could go back to his uh, castle and do what he wants. But when he was young guys around him and he had to develop a, these, these dudes and make an Andrew Bynum grow up and get Paul Gasol from being good to being great and getting a mm-hmm. Hall of Fame career, Kobe mm-hmm. had to adjust. Kyrie is still what, 27? 26, yes. 27? 26, 27 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Kobe didn't become somewhat of an extrovert until his career was over and he got involved in another creative endeavor in filmmaking, in being a coach to his daughters. Think about it. Prior to that, think about Kobe thanking Vanessa for taking care of the family while he focused on taking care of business on the basketball court. You have to be of a different mindset. And the fact that he is a extremely introverted person, he's a thinker. I say the exact same thing, and I've told people this with me being an actor. And I've dated women before who don't understand that what you do as an actor, it is not a nine to five gig. Okay, if I'm supposed to be on set at nine o'clock at night until four or five o'clock in the morning because we're shooting night scenes, we can't shoot night scenes in the daytime. So why are you giving me grief? Because your mindset is nine to five. As a creative, you can go in the gym at any given time because it allows your brain to relax. It allows your soul to just be what it is. The same thing with acting. When people would ask me, do you prefer to be on stage or on film? And I go, I prefer to act. I go, anybody who's an actor will tell you acting in the craft of it is that, but it's not a nine to five. You have to be a different person. Even when it comes to us as broadcasters, 
people don't understand the reason why we show up two hours, three hours in advance of a game because we have to go over notes. The reason why we're able to expound upon any situation at any given time, the reason why we know the history of this player and the statistics is because we have prepared. You don't just show up. That's kind of like telling a person, oh, okay, well, your job wants you to be here at eight o'clock in the morning. You don't wake up at eight o'clock in the morning. You show up and start preparation for what you have to do. It's the exact same thing. But to them, they see it as, oh, it's just entertainment. It's just fun. No, no this it's is this man's job. And, job. and I think that in a way, I think Kyrie, and again, this is projection. So I, I have to keep making sure that people don't think I'm diagnosing anybody. Right, because we're not at all. I think, it's, what I, I think feel, it's healthy to talk about it, though. But what I feel is that he is the that he is looking for a basketball piece and he's never found a basketball piece it goes i mean look you leave duke he, tra- he cha- changed high schools this is due to change high schools went to duke for one year gets to cleveland that situation changed it wasn't built around him boston now you go to, to brooklyn and the first thing people did when you get to brooklyn you don't even get to, to your feet wet and all of a sudden james is saying i want to go to brooklyn you ain't even got to establish anything with KD. You ain't got to establish nothing with you, with this group that you put together. And James Harden is out here making noise saying, I want to go where you are. Right. And Kyrie's like, if I'm Kyrie, Yo. there's no way that's the deal that I signed up for. Kyrie and- is saying, still, there's more change and I've got no stability yet at all again. Who's I going even- to commit to me? That's there what Kyrie go. is asking is, that's who is asking. on my side? Whether you think it's right or wrong, Ooh. that's what he's asking as a man is, are you with me? Do you believe truly in me? Because if you believed in me, then why do you think you need James Harden? That's a that's damn great question. point, Dave. That's a damn great point, Dave. He wants and needs a sense of foundation and belongingness. And he's not had that. That's why he's always moving in so many different areas because he is a guy who needs a sense of purpose and value to him. And And he's had so much instability. That's what's promulgated him to be the person that he is, which will then, and not to deviate away from basketball, but I wanted to touch upon that Mm -hmm. because I know you and I both have had experiences with that going through it personally again not diagnosing anything but some of the signs that he were dis- that he's been displaying and has shown a pattern and a propensity to display are all some of the things that we have had to self analyze to gravitate and get ourselves back in order and a lot of people they will keep trying to go through and go through instead of taking a step back to say that's why you ain't gonna it. see. You won't see in my history, my writings, anything. You won't see a single thing of me um, degrading Kyrie Irving because yeah, I don't know all. that man. I have not spoken to him face to face and asked him any questions. So I'm mm-hmm. not gonna go out there and insult somebody from a distance if I can't see. If I look anything that I've ever said about a Pelicans player, they know. They know I had, you know, I've had, I've had each one more tell me something when he was with the Pelicans. I had Drew Holiday look at me funky. I had Rondo look at me funky. I've had AD Boogie look at me funky. Mm-hmm. I said what I say, but anytime that I said it is based on what I'm, I'm observing and I'm not afraid to back it up to them. I'm never Absolutely. going to insult any of them as people and I'm not going to insult Kyrie Irving. But what Absolutely I'll say is not. this, when you put Kevin Durant, 
James Harden and Kyrie Irving on the floor, and you have Ooh. DeAndre Jordan, and you don't have any bench because they have no bench now. Nothing. Nothing. I don't see how that works. You have created a team that is the exact opposite of what KD has excelled at in his career, which is a team which is thriving in ball movement, which is thriving on the defensive end. He's been, he is one of the top defensive players in the league when he when he's on. That dude went took jumps and leaps as a defender. Played five in Golden mm-hmm. at Golden State. Mm-hmm. Kyrie's not that doesn't have that same commitment on defense. James doesn't have that same commitment on no. defense. DeAndre Jordan can't do the things that he did two years ago as a center, and you gave away Jared Allen. So you got you gonna put this burden defensively on Joe Harris. And DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan, yeah, yeah. And I don't see people say, well, it's it's finals or bust. Well, it was finals or bust before James Harden. Before this James Harden got there, yeah. I still don't yeah. think I think Philly is still a better team than Brooklyn. I believe that because I think Philly will play defense. And I think that if you give me a seven-game series, I'm willing to bet that they're that Brooklyn is gonna have more trouble figuring out who's gonna take the shots than I am if I'm deciding right now. And if I'm Doc Rivers, this is what I'm building towards is Joel and B, you're going to get me 35 and 20 in the playoffs every damn night. And that's right. what they're building towards in Philly. Now, does it work? I don't know. But I'll say this. I have more faith in that than I do with what they're trying to do with a rookie head coach and Steve Nash, with the other people that you have on that bench, with Mike D'Antoni being a guy who <laughs> can step in and say, oh, this ain't working. And he's already got the pipeline with James. James. You know, yep. He's got to connect with yep. James right there. That's his dude. So he said, I, you know, I love James. I did all this with James. Mm-hmm. If you're Kyrie Irving now, the relationship with Steve Nash is with KD. The D'Antonio, Mike D'Antonio relationship is with James Harden. The, the Amari Stoudemire relationship is with Nash. There is no one on your side. Jacques Vaughn wasn't your guy either. You didn't, When you got yep. there, Jacques Vaughn wasn't there. I mean, you know, he, he wasn't the coach when you signed up. So who's on your side now, dude? Yep. And that's what, if I'm Kyrie, that's what I'm looking at. Who's on my side in this team? I don't know these other cats on the bench. Yeah. I don't know them. Yeah. AD's supposed to be my boy, but he and I ain't on the same terms. I know James is not my guy because he's going to mm-hmm. do what I do. Yep. He's going to come in here and try to do what I do. So they, you tell me are- how that's going to work. They are in a serious conundrum in Brooklyn. And for some reason, people think name talent alone can win you a playoff or win you a title. Name talent alone, if those parts, you got five individual pieces again, nothing collective. Additionally, I I did see the uh, video meme you posted earlier about Brooklyn and what it looks like when they're coming up the court. Dribble, 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 dribble. Dribble, 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 dribble. <laughs> yeah, man. I, I, I it just, it, it's going to be. They're not going to stop anybody defensively. That's the thing. I, I can't see them. They're going to beat bad teams. Yes. They're supposed that's not to, yeah. the measure yeah. of, a, of a championship team. I don't see where when they play up against teams that can really defend and also have like a Boston. Look, take Boston, for example. They, how are they going to defend Boston? How are they, they going to defend building, Jason Tatum? They are trying to, with the addition of James Harden, you know what Brooklyn is? A poor man's version of the Golden State Warriors East. 
Think if about it. Was, if the Golden State Warriors were way more selfish. That's what I say. They're a bad <laughs> version. They're a bad version of the Golden State Warriors East. Because when you look at the three pieces, what did you have in Golden State? Kyrie Steph. James is supposed to be Clay, but James is not going to move. Not going to move. Not going to move. They realize this. Clay Thompson was one of the elite defenders. Okay? So, no. And a legit 6'7". Look, okay. Clay Thompson, not a small dude. A legit 6'7", too. It is. They are a poor man's version of the Golden State Warriors with not the skill sets, nor the basketball acumen, IQ, nor the unselfishness, which is key. That's what Golden State was. They were unselfish. It didn't matter because whatever night we needed this, we're going to get it and everybody buys into it. I don't Steph see was the dude. You see Steph right now when dudes are hitting shots, Steph's still <laughs> running up to these no-name dudes, hitting jumpers <laughs> and slapping them on their ass like they're the greatest thing since sliced bread because he <laughs> believes in that place. Yes, yes. That's the yes. same reason that Draymond is out there acting a fool, getting four points a night, because he believes yes. in that thing. That's the reason <laughs> Clay is sitting on the bench when he has no – he doesn't have to. Clay doesn't have yep. to show up to a single game. He doesn't have to risk anything. Anything. stay home all year if he wants to just work on himself. But he believes in that place, so he's there. You can and that talk about the falsity of the bro. business, but, yeah, that's buy-in. That's what that's you're asking for which is what we have been talking about from Lonzo and Katz on the Pelicans. Are you engaged? You don't have to be there, but you should want to be there to be a part of your team. All right. You ain't never going to be right for the owner. You ain't never going to look, look, you can love or hate your owner. You can love mm -hmm. or hate your general manager. But if it's, if you step on that floor with those guys and y'all aren't glad and happy to be as a group on that floor that night, Yep. If you aren't saying these are we going, these are my guys and we about to roll, you cannot do it. If there's Can't one you. guy off in that group, if there's two off, if there's three off, and I think Brooklyn is headed for a situation where you got a bunch of people who are gonna say, This is not what I signed up for. And really? to do it in season, and I don't care if it's only been 10, 11 games into the season, this is not that that never works either. Because remember, the Kawhi trade happened in the offseason. And that was a, a, a Toronto team that had been to the conference finals. And Kawhi was the piece that took them over the top. When, when LeBron went to LA and got it. And then when AD comes, that's an off season deal. And they had to do what work through a bunch of kinks in the beginning to figure it out. But you also had enough role players around LeBron and AD and Rondo mm -hmm. and Dwight and all these dudes to do the little thing, to communicate with each other, to be vets and understand each other where, Hey, I've been in the league long enough. I don't have an ego. You don't have that in Brooklyn. Brooklyn you don't have that in Brooklyn. And no, you don't sir. have a coach in that regard who can walk into that room. And I don't care who Steve Nash is. I don't care if he's in the hall of fame. I don't care how many MVPs he's got. He can't walk in that room and tell those three dudes nothing unless nothing. they want to hear it. And the yeah. only one who's shown that he wants to listen is Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant. That's it. That's it. That's it. All right. I know we're getting down to time. So let me flip this on you. <clears throat> we want to play the game, but I don't understand some of the rules. We can sweat for 48 minutes with the guy next to us for 48 minutes. 
but we can't talk to them afterwards. It makes can't, no sense. Can't Words of George up. Hill. Can't dap them up, can't trade jerseys, all this stuff. They're stupid rules. The NBA's canceled another game for today because uh, I think another Washington Wizard player tested positive today. And games uh-huh. have been canceled Friday already as well. Right. So we're getting more. The league needs to pause. And these people who talk about another bubble, it ain't going to happen. There will not be another bubble. These players will not agree to it, nor should they. Nor should they. This it is also the costs too much damn money to have another bubble. Even if you have bubbles in regions, dude. It makes no sense. You, it can't work. You can't do it. You are hurting your brand and your product. People want to talk about, well, the NBA is going to keep going on. The NBA won't keep going on if there are no players. The players are what makes the NBA. The players. The National Basketball Association would not exist if there weren't the players. The front offices sign the checks. They aren't playing. Nobody goes to see what the front office and what the NBA association is doing. They and they mad folks get the same folks who get mad about load management when their stars say I'm taking the night off because I'm tired. Well, what you gonna do when a whole team has to sit out because of COVID tracing? Yep. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing team Doc Rivers was like, I can't compete. This is not there's no integrity to the game. It's not an equal playing field. If I've got eight guys and one of those eight is only dressed up because he can't play, but I needed to have an eighth person on the bench to make it a legal game. So essentially I took the water boy and put him on the, on the team and said, hey, it's senior night. You got a jersey. You can't do that and say down the road when these things are used as tiebreakers and all these things – there are going to be multiple games on this roster and, and different teams are going to be affected in different ways. You're going to cost somebody a playoff spot. You're going to cost a coach a job. You're going to cost somebody something. And quite frankly, you could cost somebody a career if they get COVID. And, and they, you we, not talk, we talked about this before they even resumed this season. Okay. Not to mention, you still don't know all the after effects of a player. Can, You remember during the bubble, and I said this then, Dave, Russell Westbrook was never the same after he caught COVID. It still don't look right. It still don't look right. You, everybody's makeup and DNA is different, man. Your body responds to certain colds, flus, injuries differently. Nobody knows the science behind this. And with COVID, with, it's baffling to me. This virus mutates to whomever. It will migrate. If there is no activity, and I don't want to get political, if there is no activity for this virus to keep circling itself around and other strands created, if it's shut down, it can't continue to live. It's just that simple. So and yet, you're going to... Exactly, Dave. And yet, here we still are again. As if we didn't see what happened when things were shut down, it started to all of a sudden dissipate. It started to go down. No, let's open everything up again. And here we are again. 4,000 deaths are, a day. You are cutting off your nose to spite your face. You can't spend money when you're dead. 
You can't spend money when you're dead. And these leads- It's just that simple. I'm sorry. And I understand. <laughs> and, 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 and Dave, you and I both get it. Yeah, it is a form of entertainment and it allows people some escapism. It is also therapeutic for us as well. But how therapeutic and how entertaining is it? Because Dave, you know as well as I know, it only takes one player in the NBA or the NFL, God forbid it happens, that that one player becomes deathly ill. Dave? They never recover. You never, never. recover. If, and the, let it be the – and it's one thing – see, we've done this like with the NFL. We talk about – and you can go back to, say, Corey Stringer, who died, you know, during training camp and training camp, overheated yeah. and stuff for the Vikings. Mm-hmm. That's cool. People don't care about offensive linemen. They're big. And they're mm-hmm. big. And they, you don't see them. Basketball players, you see them. You know their faces. You know their Instagram yeah. accounts. You see them on Twitter. You see them in commercials. So yeah. let's say – let's say Kawhi Leonard would have get COVID. Then get really sick. Goes to the hospital. Ventilator. Even if he recovers, the image of one of your greatest stars having to say, I can't play anymore because I had COVID. You can't, there's no way around that. There's no, there's no public service announcement that you can make. You can't be like, hi, I'm Kawhi Leonard. I have COVID. I'll never play again. So please wear a mask. No, it ain't going to no. work like that. Right. The, right. league, the most responsible thing for the league to do right now is to shut it down. Shut it down. Reevaluate your processes and figure out how long it's going to take to do it right. Because if you can't do it right, if you're going to keep it, and people can say, well, we got through college football season. We got through it, but Ohio State played six games for a reason. That they got through it at the cost of all the other schools that couldn't get through it. Okay. Everybody Baseball got this through the season. Yeah, and people got sick up in the World everybody, Series. People were getting everybody, sick. Everybody acts like one size fits all, and I can't stand that mindset. One size does not fit all. We've seen many a women as guys where we are saying one size does not fit all. Girl, you should not have come outside with that. Just because your girlfriend can wear it don't mean you can wear it, Okay. Same situation here. And Dave, we talked about this. We knew there were going to be postponements because you can't, too, I have a, a cousin who says this all the time, too much freedom and too much power are harmful. Mm-hmm. You know, as players and as people, and this thing that kills me, every day common folk feel like, well, if you're a player, you should be able to sacrifice and stay inside. You can't sacrifice and stay inside. So you think because they play ball, because they play ball and make the money that they do, they're even more inclined to go out and do things. And they're more restricted too because there are fewer places that you can go. You think that your money gives you access to more places, but your fame makes you limited into the places that you can go. There you go. go. So yes. Kyrie goes to his sister's party and all of a sudden it gets leaked out. He's at his sister's party. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, here it is again. Come Friday, the Warriors and Suns game, which would be a really damn great game, and then the Wizards and the Pistons game are canceled. Now, nobody cares about that game, but point of matter is, is the fact that, is the fact that it is going to be more harmful in hurting the image and the branding and the optics of it all more than anything again. Again, 
you have an unfair advantage if we can't put the same amount of players on the court in order for us to compete at a high level. It impacts our it impacts our record. It impacts if we go to the playoffs. It impacts you have my, so many my different stats, levels. things that might stats. be my bonus. I could end up three yeah. steals short of a bonus because yeah. I couldn't get to play because of COVID. And, and or some dude in my locker room got it, and so you canceled my game tonight, and you messed me up. This is, it's 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 an it's a mess. It's an attendance. It's a mess. It's a mess. Brother, yeah. we killed it again. I think we we nailed Always. it all through it. Um, game time, baby. So we do. Game, like I said, we got the, the big game against the Lakers tomorrow, um, and finish out the rest of the play the Clippers again. Utah twice. I mean, excuse me, not Clippers game. Utah twice. Utah uh, twice. And and so and then they finish out trip with uh, Denver uh, at no Sacramento. Excuse me, Sacramento. Um, they got Who, by the way, is playing at a very high level as well. Sacramento is com- very competitive. They have the same record as the Pelicans, but I think they are further along than what the Pelicans are in regards to them having a semblance of knowing who they are and what they've they had are more like. guys also in the same spot for a few years now. Cause okay, Buddy's exactly. been there a couple years. Darren Fox been there a couple years now. Exactly. But they've they they are Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes has yeah. been there. And Marvin Bagley has been there, even though he's been hurt. He's, he's now mm-hmm. been there a couple years. So yeah, they have a little yeah. bit more continuity than the Pelicans do. But yeah. again, what are we looking for? And when we talk about this next Thursday, what are we going to be at? We're looking at consistency. Growth. What did you do the on a game to consistency? Basis? Are you battling and are you showing improvement on the defensive end of the court? We're not concerned about your offense. Your defense creates your offense. Are you growing? Are you showing and doing the intangibles? And are you showing a level of progress, which is what the Pelicans need to be doing? But it's a very tough road. And you're four and six right now. You definitely don't all of a sudden want to look up. And be four and ten and four and eleven. Right. No, because that's can't. a whole that's almost impossible to dig out of. The good thing yeah. is, is that they're in a Western conference where you'd say from team one to team, I mean from team four to team twelve, it's about what and what. And you can mm-hmm. make up some ground, but you don't want to fall behind too far. Last no, thing sir. I want to say on this is yes, sir. Like when we talk about offense and defense, my last analogy on this is is when you go to an airplane, when you get on an airplane, offense to me is like that eight ounce bottle of water. They don't let you bring the water on the plane. All of, you know what I'm saying? You got to drink that right. water before you get on the plane. Right. Defense is your carry-on. You got one piece of carry-on, you can take that defense with you wherever you go. There so it that's is. That's got to remember. Offense <laughs> may not travel. They might tell you, pour all that water out. You ain't got nothing. No jumper tonight. You ain't got no – the offense may not you, – look, you know it. There's an, there are nights when everybody on the court is off. Can't none yep. of you hit a shot. You're getting the shot you want. Can't make them. But you yep. can defend for 48 minutes, man. Can't nobody you can nobody stop defend. you from doing that. You can defend. Yes, sir, so, my brother. Until next Thursday when we do this again and we go high-low one more time. I am David Grubb. He is...